on Valentine's Day. And, uh, but look at verse number 22 of Proverbs 18 tonight. The Bible said, whoso findeth a wife findeth a what kind of thing? A good thing. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this evening. We do ask you, our Lord, as we get into your word tonight, Lord, would you take this short verse, Lord, and show us some great truth behind it, Lord. I pray, Lord, the message tonight would be practical, be personal. God, it would just be one that we could take home, we could live, put into practice, prepare for. And I ask you tonight, Lord, you just simply do what only you can do tonight, Lord. I can say things, God, I can tell stories, but Lord, your word has the power. And I pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, you just help it to come alive again tonight in our hearts and our minds tonight. Lord, give us something to chew on. Give us something that will change us, challenge us, convict us, encourage us, and strengthen us, Lord. And just take your word, God. Use it as only you can tonight. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the glory and the praise, Lord, because it's not what I say or what I do that makes a difference, Lord. It is you. And Lord, we are so grateful tonight that you love us. You loved us enough to die for us. You loved us enough again to rise again the third day. You loved us enough again to promise of your return. We're thankful tonight, Lord, for how you love us. We're thankful, Lord, for this, the peace and the storms of life. We're thankful, Lord, for the saints, God, that you give us to, to serve uh, together with. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for our church. Thank you for a place, God, that's simply, Lord, uh, here tonight, Lord, just to be a place where we can fellowship together. But, Lord, ultimately, God, that we can get in your presence and get in your word together. Lord, it's what's going to change us. It's what's going to help us. We ask you to do that tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So uh, Proverbs 18, 22, no doubt we'll get back into our, our, our wisdom study. And really this is not an offshoot of wisdom because how many know tonight a good godly marriage needs good godly wisdom, amen? Uh, you cannot live and do marriage the world's way and expect God uh, to be on board with it. Matter of fact, verse number 22 really goes against the idea or the, the teaching of modern day uh, philosophy concerning marriage, right? Watch any kind of TV shows or any kind of comedy, right? It is a place where they, they take marriage and they, 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 they poke fun at it, they make fun at it, and like it's a terrible thing. Why would you get into a, a ball and chain relationship? And God never designed it to be that way, never designed for you and I to look at it like that, but rather it's a wonderful picture of really his love for the church, right? And the way he, and we'll get into that night, but as today is Valentine's Day, I, I, I begin to realize that as you get older, Valentine's Day becomes more exclusive. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, we, when you're in grade school, you got Valentine's for everybody, Right, you brought one for the whole class, and you—it wasn't nothing necessarily, anything uh, special. It's what your teacher told you to do, and you want to get in trouble, and so you brought one for everybody. Matter of fact, there were some young kids around here tonight passing out Valentine's Day, and with no care in the world, with no really—I mean, they, they wanted to show their appreciation to their friends, but nothing more really behind that. So when you're in grade school, you give them out to everybody. Then, as you become a teenager, you get older, uh, right? You you give a few right to your close friends and maybe a really special friend. Right, and you remember being in high school, you got a Valentine's from who? Right, all of a sudden it's become this big thing, but the circle gets small. And then when you get married, you have one Valentine, right? And you better only have 
one Valentine, right? Now, if you give them to your kids, I'm not talking about that tonight, but we're talking about the, the Valentine. If you're married, you don't have one, so that circle gets smaller and smaller as you grow older, but in observation, really, this is just me saying, this is observation tonight, that I feel like Valentine's Day is more geared towards the men buying things for women. Just look at the commercials tonight. You know, commercials for jewelry and chocolate and flowers. I don't think I've ever heard a man say, you know what, I would really like a rose. <laughs> Give me a brand new necklace with some chocolate. Right, it's, it's geared that way. When's the last time you've seen a commercial for, you know what your man would really like? A brand new set of golf clubs. So go buy them for, for Valentine's Day or go get him that, that brand new tool set he's always wanted. Go buy a steak, amen? I seen, somewhere, I seen a picture of a steak in the shape of a heart. I said, that is a wonderful Valentine's Day gift, right? But we see it, and it's really geared to those. But Proverbs 18 is really, verse 22, is a wonderful verse that deals with uh, marriage per se. And, and you say, well, preacher, well, not everybody in here tonight is married, and that is a true statement, right? There are some who are working towards that day or preparing for that day. And there are some of us in here tonight that are smack dab in the middle of it, right? We are, we are in our, 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 we are married now. And there are some who have been married, who have, who have experienced that. And the reality is tonight, no matter what stage we're in tonight, this message can help us uh, either person, not just those who are preparing, but those who are in it, but even those who have gone through it and experienced it now are on the latter end, you know, that now they're widowed and different things like that they can step back and say, you know what, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. You don't ever, under, under, don't ever underestimate when it comes to the next generation of you standing up and saying, hey, I want to let you know that what the Bible says about that is right. Right? You don't know the impact that's going to make on the next generation. And so, and, and another thing tonight, fellas, if you didn't happen to give your wife anything for Valentine's Day, I do give you permission to use this message as a Valentine's. Right, when I'm preaching it tonight, if you like a part, you can nudge your, your, your significant other and say, I helped him with that part right there. I sent him that verse and I, I gave him that point tonight. But look at verse number 20. The first thing that it says right there, whoso findeth a wife, right? That word means to acquire, one who attains, one who secures, one who gains a wife. It doesn't, it says a, it doesn't say a good wife or necessarily a perfect wife. It says a wife. Right, and so we see tonight that when you get married or a man gets married to the, whom God has prepared for them, they are gaining, right? They are, they, are, they, are, they are increasing in that sense. And I don't know about you, fellas, but I, every, almost every day of my life, I begin to realize, man, I'm married out of my league. I, not just in looks, but in ability. And it's one of the, thank God for grace, amen. Thank God for mercy. Uh, but whoso findeth a wife, they acquire something that is, that is great. The Bible says, findeth a good thing, right? A pleasant, agreeable, something that is excellent. The common jokes that wives are holding men back, right? Oh, you, you could have fun, but you got to go home to your wife. And a lot of those guys at work used to make fun of me, like, where you, hey, what are you doing when you get, I'm going home, really? You don't want to go hang out with us? You want to go do this? No, I want to go home. Why? That's where my wife and my kids are. That's where I'd much rather, I'd much rather be there with them than somewhere else with you. And I used to tell those guys all the time that the only reason why I hang out with you for eight hours a day is because they're paying me to do it. Right? The reality is I enjoy going home because I realized tonight, and it wasn't because it was necessarily ingrained in me and taught to me in a young age, but I began to realize that the Bible says that my wife is a good thing. 
And God's word doesn't lie. And we have to realize, understand that. And here's the thing. He said, well, I'm just joking. Here's the thing. I've never offended anybody being serious or trying my best to be conscious of what I'm saying. But there's been a lot of times I've offended people trying to be funny. And sometimes we got to realize that sometimes the best thing to do is not to be funny. And to understand that sometimes those jokes can be taken too far. But the Bible said, who findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and then obtaineth favor of the Lord. Well, that word favor means pleasure, the delight, the goodwill of the Father. And when you step back and realize that the person that God has gave you, sir, or the person that God has gave you, ma'am, you step back and say, man, God really has favored my life. He has given me somebody wonderful. They're not perfect by any means. You can ask my wife tonight. She knows I'm not perfect. And I know that I'm not perfect either. I'm not trying to fool nobody. But the reality is tonight, I can step back and say, because of what I have in my life now, it's not because I'm perfect or I deserve it really. It's because God favored my life and I'm grateful for that. But I want you to give you three good things a man will find when he finds a wife. Three good things a man will find when he finds a wife. Notice number one, he finds a companion. He finds a companion. Take your Bibles and I turn to Genesis chapter number two. Hopefully you brought your Bible flipping fingers. Uh, we'll be in a few different chapters tonight. But in Genesis chapter number two, we're introduced to the first man. His name is Adam. You go down to verse number 15 of chapter number two of the book of Genesis. The Bible says, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So we realize prior to Eve, notice what Adam had. Adam had responsibility. He was, he was commanded and instructed by God to dress and keep the garden. He was to go out there and do the work that was necessary for it to be done. So Adam had responsibility. But then we also see that Adam had a relationship. And the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thou shalt surely die. And so we see that, and I, I, I didn't want to call this religion, but we see he has this relationship with God. Well, how do you see Adam's relationship with God? It is Adam doing what God has commanded him to do and not doing what God has commanded him not to do. And so here, and here's his relationship with God. Here he is obeying God in what he's to do and obeying God in what he's not to do. And the reality is the Christian life is the same exact thing. It is you and I doing what God, obeying God and what we're to do and obeying God and what we're not to do. We see Adam had this before Eve. He had, a, he, had a, he had a responsibility, had a relationship with God. Verse 19 and 20, he even had a purpose. Look at verse 19, out of the garden or out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Adam had a great response. He had a great purpose. Matter of fact, the purpose that Adam had back in the garden of Eden we are still, uh, we are still uh, being recipients of it today. God brings these animals before Adam. Adam says, you know what? That looks like a hippopotamus. That looks like a platypus. That looks like an elephant. That looks like a giraffe. And those names have been passed down to us. And Adam had a purpose that was bigger than himself. But here's what's interesting. Adam, did, Adam knew something was off. Because the Bible said right there in verse number 19, verse number 20, Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. Adam looks out at animal kind and he sees that relationship that is going on there. There's a male and a female. Adam said, I'm missing something. 
Right before Adam realized what he was missing, God had already noticed it. Look at verse number 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make, help, I will make him a helpmeet for him. And so before Adam realized what was missing in his life, God had already known and had already prepared a plan to make what was missing in Adam's life present. In essence, God brought to Adam what he needed. Now there was going to have to be an acceptance by Adam, and it's a wonderful picture of our salvation. Long before I ever knew that I needed to be saved by the grace of God, that I was a sinner on my way to hell, that I had no hope in my own righteousness, Christ had died for me. God had already prepared the plan that was necessary. Well, preacher, when did he do that? Way back in eternity past. The, Jesus was like the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so God already had a plan prepared for that. So we see here tonight that he had a purpose, he had a character, he had a responsibility, but he lacked a companion. God's, God said it is not good for man to be alone. Then God, Adam had a realization in verse number 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now here's, here's when you go back to the original text, Adam wakes up, right? He sees Eve. In the original text, Adam said, Shazam. <laughs> She's beautiful. I encourage you to go study it out, find your strongs accord. It's, it's not in there. But we said, Adam, realization, he said, this person is what I've been missing you got to realize this tonight. Now, we understand that God and Adam had communication. We read later in our Bible that they would walk through the garden in the cool of the day and that they would, they would commune one with another. And yet God, who is infinitely great, says, you know what? Adam is missing something. It is a companion, a physical, emotional companion. And here's, here's the reality. Sometimes it takes men just a little bit longer to realize what they actually need. And we see that in Adam's life. And so we see in verse number 24, God presents this companion to Adam. And as I studied my Bible, I came, to cro came across verse number 24 at a question that I've never asked myself or asked the Lord or, or asked concerning this part of the, the, the Bible is who wrote verse 24? Look at verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. That Adam in a prophetical sense step back and say, hey, this is what it's gonna look like from here on out. Most scholars believe that more than likely it was Moses as he was writing on this person, Holy Ghost, added that, that, that latter understanding to it. Therefore, right, and they said a lot of times in your Bible when you find that, that is Moses coming back later as he, he was the writer of the first five books of the Bible. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Right, that phrase shall cleave. It literally means to cling to, to stick to, to keep close, to stick with through thick and thin. And God's will isn't just that a couple live separate lives and then just sleep in the same bed together. God's will for marriage and for a man and a wife is to be stuck together, to cleave together. In Bible college, we had a man teach us that it is, it is leave, cleave, and weave. That you, you leave your mother and father, you cleave unto your wife, and you weave a life together. 
And the reality is that's the way God designed to be because we're going to get into this in our last point, but it is a picture of, of, of Christ in the church. And let me ask you tonight, has he ever left you? No, he's weaving a life with you now. He, is, he left the Father to come to earth to die for our sins and then he's cleaved unto us. Right now he dwells inside of me, but he's also weaving a life together with me. He's guiding me and directing me. And so we see that the plan was for, for, that they shall cleave together. God allows a man to find a wife because he knows our need for physical and emotional companionship, our need for a best friend. I remember hearing someone say, well, I don't think Christians even need friends. The reality is we do. And we need a best friend. And fellas, let me encourage you tonight. Your best friend needs to be your wife. Needs to be your wife. You might not agree with me, but I believe every man's best friend ought to be their wife tonight. I believe that's the way the Bible draws it up. That's the way the Bible outlines it for us. You ask me, and anytime someone sits down with us for marriage counseling, I will tell them, I married my best friend. I married my best friend. And, and I will always give that advice because that's something that, that is needed to be, that is a reality. There's a lot that's going to change about me physically. There's a lot that's going to change about me as I grow older. But if you go into that covenant, best friends, that bond will hold for life. And we see he finds a companion. Notice this, Adam had a companion for the difficult times. Genesis chapter number three, you flip over in the next chapter of your Bible, verses one through 20. We know the story. No doubt it's a difficult time. Eve has been beguiled by Satan. She has partaken of the fruit that she was not to do. Now she's taken it. Adam's eating of it himself. And now they're in a difficult spot. They have transgressed. They have sinned. They have disobeyed God. And Adam tried his best to blame Eve. Look at verse number 12. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. She gave me the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, He curses him. But we also see in verse number nine, God didn't say, Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where art thou? And we see tonight that they, they realize that if they were going to get through this difficult time, they could not pit themselves against each other. That was not the solution. No, God had given them each other for a difficult time. And as you read, you go down to verse number 20. It is then after all of this that Adam decides to name Eve. Wouldn't that be weird? That after a, a, a few years together, you get to pick your wife's name. <laughs> that would be an interesting custom to have, wouldn't it? And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. They has a companion through the difficult time and yes there are, some, there are some repercussions from their sin but Adam looks back and says you know what this woman that God gave me he is going to use to be the mother of all living and not just of people but through her and down through the years a savior will come. Adam said thank God he's given me a companion for the difficult times but Adam also had a companion for the discouraging times. Look at chapter four, verse number eight. The Bible said, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. 
Now, we got to realize we're not talking about the, the family next door to the Adam and Eve's. We are talking about their own children. And no doubt it may be crossed Adam and Eve's. What did we do wrong? Where did we mess up? How, how, did, how did our children, how did our child come to this place? You know, oftentimes we don't realize this, but on that wedding day we make those vows to one another and it isn't just for better and better, but it's for better and worse or better or worse. Reality is it's an and there, right? There's, Cause there's gonna be good days, there's gonna be bad days. I remember seeing somebody get married and their vow was for richer and richer. <laughs> and the person who officiated the rest said no, for richer or poor. And they said no, for richer and richer. I thought, man, that's, that's not a good sign. But we see here there's a discouraging, it's discouraging times, right? Uh, what a discouraging time it must have been, but they faced it together. God, in his foreknowledge, had brought Eve into Adam's life because he knew there was going to be some discouraging times that he was going to need a companion and a friend who would just be there one for another. And that's what he found in Eve. It must have been a blessing when they got down to the end of the chapter because we see that he had a companion for the good times. Look at verse number 25 of chapter number four. And Adam knew his wife again and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son and they called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. They had been through some difficult times. They had been through some discouraging times. But look at verse number, chapter number four, verses 25 and 26. They ended on some good times. God gave them Seth, who then gave them Enos, and men began to call upon the name of the Lord. See, here's, here's the problem with most marriages is that we're not willing to, to be a companion during the difficult times and be a companion during the discouraging times. And when we give up in the difficult and discouraging times, we miss out on the good times. The reality is when, you, when God gives you a companion for a difficult time, when all you can do is cry with each other, and then God gives you a companion for the discouraging times, when you think, is this ever going to get any better? Boy, you enjoy those good times together. Our society says it's, it, it, you only should expect good times. But how many know our society is wrong with everything else? So they're wrong with that as well. You should expect and be ready and prepared for difficult times discouraged they're going to come no preacher I go to church and I pray and I tithe and I, I do all of that stuff Job was a righteous man and difficult times came his way and I think one of the hardest things Job had to hear was his wife say curse God and die imagine how difficult that must have been how hard that must have been but when God gives a man a wife he gives him a companion let me ask you now have you found a companion in the wife that God has given you? Or are you asking, Lord, my wife, the, the woman that you're going to give me, would you please give me my best friend? Ladies, are you preparing and saying, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to get concerned with looks and, and income and all that kind of stuff. I need a friend. We see that he finds a companion. When a man finds a wife, he finds a companion. Notice number two, when he finds a wife, he finds a confidant. A confidant. Don't ask me how to spell it. I just know how to say it. And I, and I know what it means. Take your Bibles, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. I promise you, I ain't going to try to say you no person, nothing like that. Proverbs 31. <laughs> Look down at verse number 11. Proverbs 31, verse 11. It says, The heart of her husband does safely trust 
in her so that she shall have no need of spoil. Now, some believe, and I, don't, I, I, I have no reason to disagree with them, that Proverbs 31 was written by Solomon talking about his mother Bathsheba. Now, it's an interesting thing to think about, testimony of God's grace, because when you hear the word Bathsheba, our mind goes to one place, that failure, that fault, that mess up in David's life, and yet here is Solomon and his later years, more than likely, thinking back to the things that his mother Bathsheba taught him and that he's seen in her, enough to write about. And the Bible goes on to say, well, well in verse number 10, if God has given you a virtuous woman, you need to recognize her worth and her value. Look at verse number 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. There was a time in history because of their rarity and because of the inability to find them that rubies were actually valued a far more than diamonds were. The reality is tonight that if God has given you a virtuous woman, not perfect, but virtuous, that word virtuous tonight, it means, it means strong, able, efficient. In essence, they are, they are trying their best giving it their best effort, not just for you, but for the Lord as well. If you have a wife like that, you have found a very, very rare thing. Not just a good thing, but a very rare thing. Now notice this, the Bible said that not just in the home or with the kids, but to you as her husband as well. She is virtuous. One of the most valuable things she is to you as a confidant. Right, one that you can share your heart with and then trust them with it. There are certain people, and you probably have some in your life, that your conversations with them are very surface level. They're very shallow in the sense because you know if you give out too much information, it's going to be repeated, it's going to be misturned or misconstrued, and it's going to be a mess. And so certain people, you're like, ah, I don't trust them with that information. And so I'm going to ask them about random things. <laughs> But notice here tonight, the Bible said that ought not to be how it is between a husband and a wife. That a, a husband ought to find a confidant in his wife or someone that he can bear his heart with and then trust her with it. Right, the Bible, preacher of the Bible says put, put confidence in the wife. I understand that tonight. But we see here tonight that a virtuous woman, one of their tales is that her, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her, right, he has, he, he trusts her, a, a love, a, a, that he, he's willing to confide in her. And to be honest with you, one of the things I love to do is to bounce ideas off my wife. Matter of fact, I hold her opinion higher than probably anybody else in the room tonight. Why? Because I know that one, she wants the best for me, she wants the best for my family, and that she is willing to tell me what is right. And tonight, when God has given you a wife or given you a virtuous woman that you can pour your heart out to, to, to talk about dreams and aspirations, and then you, you know you can trust her with it. Money can't buy that. That is a great thing to have. And maybe you're saying, you've been, you know, you, you're married, you're, now you're widowed tonight, you're saying, that's exactly right, preacher. The ability to have someone to confide in, to talk to, you value, I value your opinion over anybody else's. Now I want to give you two warnings tonight. One from the woman's perspective and then one from the man's perspective. From the woman, one of the worst things you can do is publicly humiliate your husband or his ideas. To tear down his confidence in front of people. Like I said, we like to joke, we like to play, but be careful with that stuff. 
Be careful with it tonight. One of the worst things you can do is, is to, and I, I'm not talking abuse and different things like that. There's the proper way to deal with that. But I'm talking about, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, my husband, he's just a big dummy. Be careful saying those things. Right, because they're very dangerous statements. And one of the worst things a, a wife can do is to publicly humiliate her husband or his ideas in front of people. Well, preacher, there weren't no other men present. It was just me and the ladies. And you know how ladies like to talk. They don't make it right. It doesn't make it right. Because here's the danger. What you say may come back. And it may, it may get back to the ears of your husband. Now you've got a lot of explaining to do. Whereas here, the Bible said this, this, this virtuous woman, she could be trusted with the heart of her husband. Then the warning on the man's side, one of the worst things you can do is to plow through your wife's opinions and with your own plans and the desire, oh, you're just a woman. I'm the man around here. We're going we're to do what I say. Now, understand God does give the man authority in the home, but it doesn't make him a dictator, right? It doesn't make him it is my way or the highway. Get with it. One of the wisest things a man could do is look at his wife and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Matter of fact, there has been some ideas and some uh, things that I had come up with. It wasn't the Lord. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was me thinking, I'm going to do that. And Miss Becky said, have you thought about that? And it saved me from a lot of trouble, from a lot of heartache and a lot of mess. And so one of the best things, one of the worst things you do as a man is, is to, to take your wife's opinion and squash it under your foot. That doesn't mean you have to do everything she says, but at least be li willing to listen. Ultimately, yes, you are the authority. You're going to make the decision in the home, but just make sure you're making the right one. So a husband, when he finds a wife, when a, man, when a man finds a wife, a husband already has a wife, he finds a confidant. Here's the thing. If any of those things are constantly happening, now listen, we're, not, we're, we're human, right? We're going to make mistakes. That's where apologies and, and forgiveness and reconciliation come in. But you've got to realize if those things are constantly happening, on either side, from either, either, either party in the equation, it's going to cause a shutdown. It's going to cause communication to stop, which takes away the good thing that God has given you. God has given you a wife for that reason, but sir, treasure the fact that God has given you someone you can confide in. Ma'am, treasure the fact that he is willing to confide in you and not to abuse it. We see tonight, not only does a man find a companion, but he finds a confidant. Then notice number three tonight, and maybe, maybe <laughs> this would not be the time to say, I help pastor at this point. Because here's number three. When a man finds a wife, he finds a challenge. <laughs> I tell that Ms. Bates, she said, what do you mean by that? Take your Bibles and I turn to Ephesians chapter number five. A man, when he finds a wife, he finds a challenge. Before you tune me off, just give me a few minutes. It's not what you think. Ephesians 5, 25. The Bible said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me tell you tonight, that's a challenge. That's a challenge tonight. Why? Because in my own nature, I'm selfish. In my own nature, I want what Tate wants, and if anybody else gets what they want, that's fine. I really don't, as long as I get what I want. And that's a, a nature that every man has. But preacher, what, what do you mean? Look at the challenge mentioned in verse number 12. Husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me give you some ways that Christ expresses his love to the church that apply to your marriage. Christ was never too busy. Christ is never too busy for the church. 
He has a lot to do. I mean, the sun moves just a little bit further than the earth. We're all fried. He has a lot to do. I mean, birds need worms and and oceans got to stop at certain places and, and mountains got to, and snow's got to fall and rain's got to, he's got a lot to do, but how many glad he's never too busy for you? He, he always has time for you. Well, you say, preacher, I'm not, gee, I'm not saying you are tonight, but I, I do want to say this statement. When your schedule gets busy, make time for your wife. Don't make excuses, make time for your wife. And now let me, under, let me, let me, let me come behind that with that statement. I'm not talking about having to plan a, a fancy dinner with candlelights and servers and, and uh, silent or smooth violin music. I'm talking about make time for her. Ask her how her day's been. Sit down and talk to her. What, what kind of things are you thinking about? I guarantee you tonight, <laughs> jewelry only goes so far. Roses will die. Candy will go stale. But that time when you on purpose show affection, I guarantee you tonight, if you are coming through one of the hard, you're just a busy week here, 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 and on the way home you stopped and said, you know what, I know what her favorite candy bar is. I'm going to stop and pick it up for her. I guarantee you tonight that's going to hold a lot more weight than you saying, listen, it's Valentine's Day. I got you something because it's Valentine's Day. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate the thought. But we say or not, Christ is never too busy. Men, get in the heart, get in the, the mindset that I will never be too busy for my wife and for my family. That I will make time for them. Not only that, that he is never too busy. Notice this, he's gracious and merciful. <laughs> he's gracious and merciful. He doesn't just point out our flaws and failures. Right? He graciously forgives and, and mercy helps. Well, how many glad tonight he deals with us in grace and mercy? Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's holy. Matter of fact, the moment you get out of church tonight or even while you're in church tonight and you mess up, he has all right to wipe you off. But no, he deals with us in mercy and grace. And so many times as men, we have to watch our tongue. We, we like to preach about the women in the tongue, but sometimes men's tongues are just as sharp. I tell you what, quit acting like your mother. <laughs> I dare you to go home and say that. You live to tell about it. <laughs> tell me about it. But notice, he's gracious and merciful. Watch this. Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. Once it is dealt with, he moves on. And he doesn't keep bringing it up. I've seen this just recently. Someone brought up something. I'm talking about 40 years ago. Like, you want me to fix that? I can't fix that. I can't solve that. You're, at some point, you're just going to have to move on. And he said, listen, we dealt with it. We got it right. We, we've reconciled. All right, let's move on. Let's, let's quit, quit bringing up the axes. Let's bury them and go on for the glory of God. Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. Jesus doesn't harm. He helps. His goal isn't to remind us how terrible we are or how bad we are at things. It is to help us to become like him. Jesus, he doesn't harm. He helps. Then I was got to think about this in I said, man, I, I never thought about that. Jesus never leaves without promising to return. Jesus never leaves without promising to return. Men who threaten to leave as a means of getting what they want are not acting like Christ. They're acting like a coward. Do this or I'm leaving. Jesus never did that. Every time Jesus left, he promised I'm coming back. 
I'm going to die. But I'll, three days I'll rise again. <laughs> I got to ascend to the Father, but I'll be back. I got to go prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back. Boy, you want to give your wife some peace? Let her know that every time you leave behind out those doors, you can't wait to get back home. That you're coming home. Now I'm going to be there. Get in the habit of saying, listen, I got, I got to go to work. I got to go here. But I'm coming home. I'm coming home. You're all, your wife ought to know that you are coming home and that you want to be home. Why? Because it's the same promise Jesus gave to the church. I'm coming home. I'm coming back for you. I will return. When a man finds a wife, he finds a confidant, he finds a companion, and he finds a challenge. Lord, help us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Let me ask you tonight, men, are you willing to accept the challenge of having a wife? If you already have one, it's time to accept the challenge. <laughs> if you're preparing for one, Lord, help me to be ready for that, that, that challenge of loving my wife like the church. And those of you who are on the other end of it, well, you can maybe give some thanks to the Lord that you had someone that loved you like Christ loved the church and cared for you. Let's pray tonight to Heavenly Father.